Put them over your heart and say this with me. I've got to get the right one. I've been told there's something about holding the electronic one over your heart that just kind of freaks people out. So, uh, I mean, only one person has told me that. But yeah. So we have, we'll use our regular Bibles here for this part. Now I can see, you know, if you have a pacemaker, you, want to, you probably want to be sure that where you hold your electronic Bible, you know, over your heart. But um, otherwise, you know, yeah, who knows? Amen. Say this with me. This is my Bible. God's written living word to me. Open my eyes, Lord, that I might behold wonderful things from your law. I want to talk to you this morning about the vine. And more specifically, vine life. How to enjoy God's presence in every moment. Now, our text is taken from the Gospel of John. So if you'd like to join me there, please. Chapter 15. We'll begin reading in verse 1 of John's Gospel, chapter 15. I am the true vine, and the Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does not bear fruit, he or does bear fruit, he prunes, that it might be that it might bear more fruit. I'm going to switch Bibles now. Because this one stands out in nice big letters. You know, I never used to think that large print Bibles, you know, I could never understand large print. Who would want a large print Bible? And then I turned 50. And then I realized the anointing and the blessing of God that's, that's on large print Bibles. And see, with this one, I can make it as large as I want. Abide in me, verse 4. Actually, verse 3, already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept the Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. I don't know if you caught the connection here, but the Father loves the Son, The son says he loves us as much as the father loves him. And then we're told to love each other as much as the father loves the son. So we have this triangle going on. This love triangle that's holy and precious. And could I say it to you this way? God loves you as much as he loves Jesus. In fact, when God looks at you, he sees Jesus. He doesn't see you. He sees the righteousness of God in Christ, according to the Bible. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I've loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. For you are my friends, if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, 
so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. Paul said it this way, the end of the command is love. The end of the command is love. Jesus gives us an analogy here of something that the Hebrew people and the Jewish mind could relate to very, very well. Because using vines to grow grapes was perhaps the largest single producing crop and the richest crop in the marketplace. Society dependent upon lush fields growing not only with wheat, but with grapevines. Here's our takeaway this morning from what we're going to look at regarding the vine. God designed you and me for intimate fellowship with himself. In fact, face-to-face relationship with him. And any time we substitute religious practice, forms, a favorite expression, an act of obedience, or even learned language for his presence, in other words, life in the vine, we become fruitless branches that will quickly be separated from the life of the Father. So the Bible tells us that the vine is Jesus. That the husbandman who takes care of the vineyard is the father and that you and I am the branches. We, Christ followers, are the, are the branches. Then we're told that the life that God has for us flows through the vine to the branches. If... It's conditional if we abide in him. Now, if you don't abide in Christ, then there's not a life flow. That's why I entitled the message Vine Life. Not divine life, although it is, but vine life. What's it mean to abide? Well, one of the meanings is to wait for. In other words, sometimes God's presence can't be hurried It also means to endure without yielding or giving up. Do you know that sometimes it just takes a little tenacity to come into the presence of God? It takes a little holding on, like Jacob, who held on to the angel, you remember, and wouldn't let him go until the angel blessed him. Now, I know that we think that God's presence, his goodness, his grace ought to just always be automatic. We ought to always automatically feel it. We ought to automatically be in it. And in a sense, we are. We'll talk about that this morning. But there's times where we need some tenacity to stay with it because life's pressures and distractions and circumstances fight. They fight for your attention. Life throws at us everything it can and add in there the enemy of our souls. Satan, fight against us having a relationship with God. This fallen earth system is not designed to facilitate a vibrant relationship between you and God. It's not built that way. The God of this world, Satan, according to the Bible, will do everything he can to fight us and to keep us from having that face-to-face with God. So sometimes we have to press in. We have to be tenacious. And that's part of what abiding means. If we're going to abide in Christ, we have to be tenacious. It also means to bear patiently, to accept without objection to remain stable and to continue in place. In short, abiding means to continue and to endure. But it's primarily about being rather than doing. 
Abiding is more about being in Christ than doing for Christ. Abiding is about continuing and patiently staying in his presence rather than trying to get God to do something. Or vice versa, for us to go through a list of do's and don'ts so that we can be pleasing to him. Now there's a Hebrew word for this word abide. Shekan. Or shekan. And it means dwelling in a tent or having a nomadic lifestyle. We get the word well known among Bible students for sure, Shekinah from this root word, Shekan. Shekinah glory. Have you ever heard of the Shekinah glory of God? I used to have a professional photography business, weddings and portraits called Shekinah photography. The idea was that my pictures would have not only the excellence of good photography, but the presence of God in the photography. The Shekinah of God is what God is interested in us having. Now, this idea of being nomadic or dwelling in tents, as it refers to the Shekinah of God or the Shekan of God, it embraces the permanent presence within a temporary camping Did you get that? It embraces the permanent presence within a temporary camping. So in other words, you can never put God in a box. Just about the time you've got him fit into all of your neat religious practices, your moral list of do's and don'ts, all of these sorts of things, God's presence is going to move on. God God doesn't dwell with those who are religious. God dwells with those who keep an open heart to his presence. God is not interested in our forms. God isn't interested in all of our rituals and our practices. Near as much as he is in us having face-to-face face time with his presence. Knowing God... Being in his presence is far more important than any other thing in our life. Now, Jesus, when he came and taught on this subject of the vine, he messed with the grapes. I mean, Jesus messed up their thinking. And it was not well received. What he taught on the vine and the branches was not well received by the Hebrews because of the Jewish thinking. I remind you, God designs humans to have fellowship directly with him. Once Adam fell, a system of worship and obedience and communion was set up in place of God's original design. So that's where we get the tabernacle, for instance. Do you remember that it was never God's design for there to be a tabernacle where he would dwell? He wanted to live and dwell in them. Then we add the sacrifices. Well, what were the sacrifices for? To cover man's sin, to, to propitiate for man's sin. But they had to do it again and again and again. And of course, that being conscious, consciously, con consistently conscious of our failing, it causes us to be away from God. It, it causes us to lose our discernment. It, it, it makes fellowship with God very difficult when you're constantly conscious of your failure. But God provided a system of sacrifices to make up for it. And then third was established the priesthood. Do you remember what the priesthood was for? To represent the people to God 
and God to the people. The people said, no, we, we can't stand your presence. We, you're too holy. You're too powerful. God, we can't come near you. We, we don't want firsthand face-to-face with you. Give us priests who will be intermediaries between us and you. And those priests will represent you to us and us and our concerns to you, God. So God allowed a priesthood. So what are we talking about? We have a tabernacle. We have sacrifices. We have a priesthood. And then we have all of the law code. Do not, touch not, taste not, handle not. You can only walk so far on the Sabbath. Your hair has to be a certain length. All right? You can't eat certain foods. When you do eat certain foods, they can only be on these certain days. How many of you know that that law code that entered in was very, very difficult? Can you imagine then a tabernacle outside outside of your home, somewhere else where it's designated for God to dwell, sacrifices that do their best to try to appease your conscience so that you can talk to God, a priesthood that represents you, a middleman, and then all these ceremonies that you have to go through in order to be pleasing to God. Now, I ask you, If you consider a relationship with God to be similar to a relationship with your spouse. If your spouse told you, you know, I I, I don't want to, I I really don't want to be around you 24-7. And so I'm going to put up a separate bedroom out in the backyard. (laughs) So when we get tired of each other, you know, I'll have a little stove in there and I'll have a little refrigerator. and, And I can just be out there in the backyard. And then what if he told you or she told you, you know, uh, you're just so displeasing to me that uh, we need to come up with some sort of system where uh, there's some sacrifices, you know, where uh, you, you do this and this, I'm going to accept that as cover for everything else I don't like about you. And then, you know, on certain days, I just, I I so can't stand you that um, I need an intermediary. So we need to hire a maid or a live-in who, you know, when I'm just really bummed, all right, when I'm not having a good day around you, I can give them messages and they'll convey it. And then on top of that, here's the list of things you're going to need to do. And be sure get done every week in order to be my spouse. Now I ask you, how would that work for you? Are you feeling the warmth? Are are, are you feeling the intimacy? And yet, that is exactly what the Hebrews, that is exactly what the nation of Israel established as a relationship with God. When God, from the beginning, built us to have FaceTime, one-on-one, loving, warm, intimate, personal relationship directly with him, no tabernacle, no sacrifices, no intermediary, no law code, his grace and love in our heart kept us in a place where we would automatically just love and obey him. That's what he built, but this is what he got. This was in the beginning, but this was the rest of the old covenant starting in basically chapter 3 after the fall chapter 3 of Genesis so when Jesus showed up on the scene and started teaching vine life you have to understand how explosively threatening this was now keep in mind also that the vine was an ancient symbol of the Jews and their relationship with God They were God's vines planted in the soil of Israel by God himself. Isaiah chapter 5 tells you about this. Chapters in Ezekiel spell this out for us in no uncertain terms. The Jews were the vine of God 
planted by God in Israel, the soil, to be pleasing to him and to be fruitful. The vine represented the promise, not only to plant them, but to protect them, provide for them, nourish them, and bring them into complete deliverance and restoration from any attack of the enemy. Sound like a good deal? You bet. And that's what they wanted. That's the image of the vine and the fruit of the grape that they had. Now here comes Jesus. He walks on the scene and says, all of that is done away with. I am the vine. You are no longer vines. God is not planting you anymore in the soil. I am the vine. All life comes through me. If you're not properly abiding in me, you don't have life. In fact, you're dead and the father will cut you away and throw you into fire to be burned. Swallow that some afternoon (laughs) by this itinerant preacher who comes blowing through town preaching this new gospel. I am the vine. In fact, he said it this way, I'm the only true vine. In fact, in John 14, he said it this way, verse 6, I am the, I am the truth, the life, and the way. No one comes to the Father but... Can you understand how the Hebrew mind was thinking at that point? Can you imagine how Jewish ears were hearing this message? That Jesus was now doing away with thousands of years of religious tradition and practice and ceremony and that that they loved and embraced and thought made them right with God. He was doing away with it all and he was taking it and calling it all down, summarizing it with one statement, I am the vine. Everything you know about God, everything you want and need from God, everything God is, all his protection, all his blessing, where you're going, your future life, all of it is in me. I am the vine. You now are the branches. Wow. Can you understand the threat then of this message? Can you stand, understand how explosive vine life was in Jesus' hour? Jesus says in our text that true life cannot be had apart from him. And Jesus doesn't want us to do more for him. He wants us to be with him more. Now that deserves a pause. Think about it. Jesus doesn't want us in his system, in this, this good news gospel, Jesus doesn't want us to do more for him. He wants us to be with him more. Can I get an amen? Amen. Do you understand the difference? All religion, all religion, no matter what banner is over it, no matter what label is on it, all religion teaches that we must do more for him. And if we do more for him, we'll be more pleasing to him and acceptable and we can attain to righteousness. There's even a group that teaches that if you do enough of that, 144,000 of you will get chosen to go. I don't know about you, but at that point I just go, rats, (laughs) because I'm just not there. I'm too messed up. I'm too broken. I'm too much of a renegade. I'm too rebellious. I I know all the things that I like to do, man, I'm just not willing to give those up. (laughs) That religion just will never work. I can't be holy enough. I can't be righteous enough. I, I just don't measure. And such were some of you, Paul said. 
But then came his grace. Then came his love. And came this message called the good news, vine life, grace, that said, you know what? I'm not interested in you doing more. I'm interested in you being with me more. Wow. That sounds like a pretty good deal to me. So let's go back to our original definitions. To wait. Time with him. Seeking, not jumping. There's a difference. There's a difference in seeking God's presence and then just bathing, resting in that outpouring and reacting. Yeah. Sometimes I think we react to God. We, we get a promise or we hear a sermon or we're in a service and we hear something great and we react. Oh, that gets us in such trouble. Or somebody gives a testimony of something that God did wonderful for them and we react. And we right away think, well, that, that, that'll happen just that way for me tomorrow. By the end of the day, that's going to be mine. Now, there's nothing wrong with claiming a promise, nothing wrong with testimonies. God built them. In fact, in the book of Revelation, it says they overcame him, speaking of Satan, by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. So do not think that I'm minimizing the effectiveness of testimony. But what I'm saying is this. Rather than us react and jump in these things, God wants us to bathe He wants us to sit and wash and stay and abide and enjoy his presence. Secondly, I told you it meant to endure, which means to determine to experience his presence. Today, I'm going to experience God's presence all day long. No matter what goes on, no matter what tries to come and steal or kill or destroy or distract, I am going to be in and enjoy God's presence today. I'm going to sit there. I'm going to bathe there. I'm going to abide. I'm going to wait in his presence. I'll fight for it. I'm going to fight for God's presence. And then, again, it means to bear patiently. In other words, abide even when we don't feel like it. Now, I don't know about you, but as I went into this weekend, you know, starting on Friday, I wasn't sure I felt like coming to church. This morning when I woke up, Nina reminded me, you have to, you're the pastor. (laughs) How many of you know That this isn't about whether you feel like it because sometimes you do not feel like it. You don't feel saved. You don't feel like lifting your hands in church. You don't feel like being good. uh, There's lots of things I don't feel like. But abiding means that I, I choose to stay in his presence even when I don't feel like it. And then also abiding means this, and finally in our, in our definitions, to accept without objection. In other words, to trust even when I don't understand. Let me ask you a question. Even thus far in 2013, has God done anything in your life or family or with your kids that you just don't understand? Lord, I want an explanation. That goes against everything I know, everything I accept. I just do not understand this. Come on. It might be your job. It might be your children. It might be something you're fighting physically in your body. I do not understand. I want answers. And God God just sort of lovingly leans against one of the big old trees up there and says, oh. he, just, he just blows more of his presence and then expects us to take the time daily to just be in his presence, to wait on him, to not react, to not jump, to not flit, to not decide we have an answer based on our logical mind, but to abide 
to abide, to stay in him, to wait on him. Because you know, his time is not my time. When I think I need an answer right now, he may not be willing to say much to me right then. He, he may want to tell me in a week from now. Now in verse 2 is perhaps one of the most difficult passages in all of the written scriptures. This one thought from verse 2 has been argued among theologians for hundreds and hundreds of years. Entire denominations of, of believing Christians have been built or divided on the issue of verse 2. And it is not within the scope of today's lesson for me to do an exegesis on this passage. But let me suggest a couple thoughts to you. Jesus says in verse 2, Every branch of mine that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Lights, please, Trish, if you could lower those. And if we could put up the image, right, and go to the next image that I have there, please. All right, this is a uh, artist's rendering of a vine. And you, you see how you have the vine flowing out and whether this is a branch coming from the vine or that's vine with the little branches uh, and then you see the fruit. And, and I think that's what we might refer to this as. We, we have more of the vine traveling up and down and then you have the parts here that are a little sturdier that come off of that vine and then there's fruit being born off of that branch. Now, go to the next picture, please. This is an actual photograph of grapes in a vineyard hanging from branches and those branches uh, through a work of trellis, through a, 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 a trellis work, um, are connected back to the vine. Isn't that beautiful? I wasn't sure before really studying this whether grapes grew on trees or, I mean, I knew they grew on vines, but what does that mean? I mean, is that like, a, uh, is that like pumpkins where they're sort of real flat on the ground or is it in a taller tree or just how does that work? Well, the height, the height is gained by training the vine up either a lattice work or another tree or something like that. That's how they do it. And then they get it up to a particular height, whether it's a hedge that they're letting the vines go, uh, 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 grow on and upwards uh, on, or a, a, a trellis like this where they're growing up. But then they train that vine work and then the branches start coming off of those. Do you know that in the average vineyard, when you begin to plant new vines, that it takes three years before you get healthy branches that are prepared to bear fruit. Why? Because they keep pruning them. They keep cutting back the foliage and the immature branches to a place where next year, next season, they'll grow at an even greater rate and with greater health. Thank you, Manuel. So, Jesus is the vine, we are the branches. Every branch of mine certainly sounds like a Christian. Every branch of mine that's not bearing fruit, he takes away. And then the rest of the passage and the rest of our text certainly implies that those branches that he takes away uh, die. They're not bearing fruit. They're no good. They're worthless. And he puts them in a pile and he burns them. So you better stay fruitful for the Lord. Or God's going to fry you. <laughs> I don't know. Now, again, it's, it's not my purpose here. I'm not a theologian. I'm a good Bible student. I understand the word of God. I think I have the Holy Spirit. But I do want to suggest an alternative here. Just in regards to verse 2. 
Around March, great clusters would become visible on the branches. If they were ripening too fast, the vine dresser would lift those branches up on the hedges to slow the growth. If they were developing too slow, he would lower those branches so the warmth of the earth would help. In either case, fruitful branches always produced foliage that wasted the nourishment that was available. And so pruning was an ongoing labor. I submit to you that in verse 2, for those branches that are his but not yet being fruitful, that that doesn't necessarily speak of destruction or judgment, but that he has some lifting to do to sort of maybe set you on the hedge or bring you off of your high place where you're comfortable and get you a little closer to the earth where it's warmer. In other words, covenant relationships with other believers. In fact, people you don't really even like. (laughs) Isn't that funny how God puts us in churches and around people that we don't even like? I mean, I'm not saying everybody. Probably you wouldn't be able to stay there in that church. But it's such a mistake to think that God's going to put you in a church where you just love everybody and everything's great and rosy and fun and always enjoyable and there's no attitudes to overcome and there's no harsh words that ever strike at you and offend you. Oh, what a perfect world that would be. And it's called heaven. So God commingles all those branches and sometimes you can't, you can't even determine. It's hard to tell, in fact, which branch exactly are you reaching up from and where's the fruit growing from? And isn't that just like the Father's heart? That as he brings us into fellowship with one another, that as he rightly fits us, Mark and Trish, new members, into the body where he wants us, that it's not about my gift and my prestige and my authority or anything like that he's not looking for that he's looking for fruit and his desire is that sometimes you can't even tell what branch that cluster of grapes is coming from but it doesn't matter what really matters to the father is that all the branches are spending time abiding in the vine so that all of us are fruitful and bringing forth Good fruit, the grapes. And so it's not about whether the grapes come from Pastor Kimberly or whether they're hanging from Bob. It's about that as a congregation, God's moving us in his direction. Remember the tense. It's never stagnant. We're nomadic. He keeps us moving in his direction, but his presence is always, he's always in habitation. It's never a revival. Remember, we don't want revival. Never pray. Lord, give Genesis a revival. Don't ever pray that way. Revival means his presence comes and then it goes. And we all return to the way we were before he came. We want habitation. Where he comes, he indwells us, he transforms us. We become so like him that we don't care whose gift it is. We don't care what the title is over the name. We just care that as a body of believers, we're bearing fruit for him and bringing people to the Lord Jesus Christ to experience the same. Can you say amen? In verse 3 says, you are already clean. The word used there is prune. How does the Lord keep us pruned or cut back so that we maximize the nourishment when we are in his presence? How does he do that? By his word. By his word. Folks, listen to me. This is why it is so vital that you not get in this mindset that you think you can just come to 12 weeks of kingdom ministry training where the emphasis is on experience and anointing and activation and then go home and not spend any time in the word. You're crazy. 
because the nourishment you get on Wednesday will dry up by Friday because the other things of life vie and compete for the nourishment that you got and the anointing and the activation will seep out to feed leaves and foliage and other things that need to be pruned. God forbid that we spend our week just fighting against sickness, let's say, as an example of a distraction. And all our anointing and all of our faith and all that wonderful activation that was for people out there in the marketplace. It was for them to bring them to Christ. That's why God really gives it to us. That's what our gifts and our anointing are are for is to go out into the marketplace. But we spend the whole week spending our whole anointing on trying to get free of a sickness in our body. You say, well, what am I supposed to do when I get sick? Abide in the vine. God wants us to reach a place of dwelling and abiding in his presence where his presence just burns up. Every distraction, every sickness, every disease, every fear, every thought that's contrary to his best, his presence, his life will just remove it and his word will prune it all away. And then when we get activated in his presence, we can go into the marketplace and be effective. Hallelujah. Verse 4, he is our source. Verse 4, he says, unless you're connected to me as your source, you won't bear fruit. Now watch this. Somebody, somebody please quickly read verse 4 from your translation. Where's that microphone, sweetheart? Uh, if you have your Bible open and turn to the text, who would read it? Lila, do you have it there? Who has it? Okay, that's fine, ESV. Who has it? Could just read verse 4. Abide in me. Check the switch there. I might not have got it on. Let's be sure the handheld's on. It slides up. Okay, got that? Now, listen to it from the Weiss translation. You ready? Look up here and listen. Maintain a living communion with me and I with you, just as the branch is unable to be bearing fruit from itself as a source unless it remains in a living union with the vine so neither you unless you maintain a living communion with me (sighs) what's the problem we often substitute our strengths our thinking our logical mind our skills our reasoning my ability for God's presence for the answers that we need and he says look it's not going to work you can't be your source I have to be your source take a hand put it over your heart say this with me he is my source and he's right here amen You know, someone that's properly connected to the vine never says, I don't know the will of God. I I don't know what the Lord is living in my, uh, doing in my life. Vine life produces revelation knowledge. And apart from the vine, you'll struggle to know God's will. If you're unable to determine God's will on a regular basis, it means that you're not properly connected to the vine or you're not listening. Where'd you get that? That's all in verse 15 of our text. See, when we're connected to the vine, we're going to hear what he's saying to us. So real fruit looks like this. Joy, he mentions that. Answered prayer, he mentions that in our text. Love, he mentions that in our text. And practicing the presence of Jesus. What do I mean by that? I'm sure that many of you have heard that term before. Practicing the presence of Jesus. If you haven't, I want you to carry it away with you today. Because vine life is all about experiencing every day, every moment of every day, 
his wonderful presence. And it is possible. Now, ask yourself a question. What would the life in the branches be like if the branches just visited the vine every once in a while? And yet that's what we do. We come to church on Sunday morning and we visit the vine. We get a charge. We get an activation or an anointing and we go out. And then we don't spend any time in the cleansing, the pruning process, which is his word. And we really don't spend any time, spirit, soul, and body in his presence in a, in, in a real consecrated way, consecrated way, which is what? Uh, simply abiding, abiding in him. But let me make this easy for you because I want you to begin to turn every moment of every day into a time where God's presence is real to you. I want you to think about something. Life, every month, every week, In fact, today is made up of moments, isn't it? Have you ever heard the phrase living for the moment? Or one moment at a time? What do we mean by that? When do we employ those? Usually when we're in trouble, (laughs) right? Boy, how do you eat an elephant? Well, you just break it down one bite at a time, you know. Oh, I'm under so much pressure. You wouldn't believe this job and this boss I report to. Oh, my gosh. It's terrible. I don't know how I'm going to make it. And a good friend will tell you, you just got to take it one moment at a time. What are they telling you to do? Break it down into that moment of life where you're more aware, better adjusted, you're at peace, you're resting, you're not reacting, you're flowing, right? I mean, everybody uses this term. But did you know that that's a biblical concept? Jesus is in every moment of my day. And there are 60 of those in a minute. And then there are 60 of those in an hour. And then there's 24 of those in a day. And I didn't count. Maybe one of you can do that quick math. But how many moments are there then in a day? A lot. And did you know you can't do a thing about the moment that just went by? It's gone. You don't have total control over the one that's just ahead. It's in his hands. But I can do everything about the one I'm in right now. And God says that if you are correctly connected to the vine, if you're a Abiding in the vine, then every moment I am there. Every moment my mercies are new. Every moment I'm giving you victory over the opposition or over the enemy of your soul, the devil. Every moment I'm there blessing you. Every moment there should be peace, joy, and righteousness, which is his kingdom. The kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but it's righteousness, peace, and joy. Every moment. I love what Randy Castle said at Kingdom Ministry Training a couple of weeks ago when he said, the kingdom of God is not difficult to understand. I just, all throughout my day, ask myself, am I walking in righteousness? Do I sense peace? Am I in joy? Well, that's the kingdom. How difficult is it to practice his presence? Not at all. The difficulty comes from harnessing, wrestling that mind, tearing it away from everything else going on every moment of the day and saying, look, mind, you are going to focus right now on the fact that you are in his righteousness. You are his righteousness. There's love. There's joy. There's empowerment, mercy, grace, whatever you need right now. Thank you, Jesus. And you know how you do that best? Have a constant conversation with him. Now, I used to believe you can't think to, I used to believe that you can't think two thoughts with your mind at the same time. Now, you men, 
You, you especially, your wives will tell you, or your spouses, your girlfriends, they tell you. It's the most frustrating thing for a woman, right? You're so focused. Why didn't you hear me? I've been trying to get your attention from the kitchen now for the last five minutes. And what do we always say? I was watching the game. I didn't hear you. In other words, I can't process two things at once. Not true. Not true. Not true. Now, it may be true in respect to your wife, but it's not true. It's not true in relationship to the Lord. Why? Because he lives within us. We are a spirit. He is a spirit and he's constantly speaking. Vine life means that every moment I can simply remind myself, Lord, you're here. I love you. Man, what a good papa. I just really, you can be driving down the highway. You can be taking your shower. You can be sitting in a room around a conference table getting ready for the meeting to start. And just slip aside In that moment, just slip aside in your mind and say, Oh, Daddy, man, you're great. (laughs) Oh, this is going to be an awesome day. Thank you, Lord, for your peace. I just sense your joy right now, Father. And I just thank you. You're going to give me the words to say in this meeting. Thank you so much. I love you. Now, how long did that take? Was that even 30 seconds out of a minute? And then there's 60 minutes in an hour and there's 24 hours in a day and eight of those I'm supposed to be asleep where he just takes over and does the things that he does, you know, while I'm dreaming and all of that. Isn't this cool? God just set it up and Jesus said it this way. I am divine. No more religious system, no more ceremony, no more intermediaries, no more tabernacle out in the backyard where you have to come visit. I am going to put my word in you and I'm going to dwell in you by my spirit. And now if you will simply fight for that and remain in that and abide in that, you can know my presence. You can know the kingdom every moment of every day. Amen.